Bible, there's a guy named Abraham, and the very first thing God says to him is go. Leave everything you've ever known. Go to an unknown and uncharted place, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. Go, Abraham. And then there's Moses. God meets him in the desert and speaks to him and says, Go, Moses, go to the place you came from, to the people where you once were. Go, because I am sending you. Go and help my people find freedom and redemption. Go, Moses. And then there's Jeremiah, the prophet. He's young, he's inexperienced, he's afraid. And God says, Go, Jeremiah, I'm with you. And then there's Elijah, Esther. Ezekiel, Ruth, and many others who heard the call of God to go, and they went. And then the final words of Jesus to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, go. I've heard it said that you can be comfortable or courageous, but you can't be both. That's true for Abraham, true for Moses, true for Jeremiah, true for you, and true for me. See, in the Bible, there are comforting words like forgiveness, freedom, and redemption, and adoption. But in the Bible, there are also commanding words like repent, believe, follow, and go. Maybe that's the words you need to hear today, to go. Go across the room, across the hall, go across the street, go across the campus, go across the city, the nation, go across the world, go. It's important for us to remember that this isn't just a command to go, this is an opportunity, an opportunity to bless and to bring hope and to be salt and to shine light in dark places and to give to others what was first given to us. You see, we don't just go because that's what good Christians do. We go because 2,000 years ago, God looked down on a broken and hopeless and hurting world and he looked on with compassion. And then he looked at his son, his one and only son, the one and only person who could do anything about it. And he looked at him and he said, go. And he did. And he lived, and he died, and he rose, and now he reigns. And now we go, because he did it first. He moved from heaven to earth so that we could move from comfort to courage, and so that's my prayer for you. Not just that you would move to a new city with a new zip code, but that you would move from comfort to courage. That we would all move from complacency to urgency. My prayer for you is that the most beautiful thing in the world to you would not be cars, clothes, and careers, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, to know him and to make him known. And my prayer for you is that today, you would put your yes on the table and you would leave it there to go wherever and whenever God leads you to go. And so I can't promise that it'll always be exciting. Can't promise it'll always be easy. Can't promise it'll always make sense, but I can promise you this, it will always be worth it. This morning we are finishing up a sermon series um, called Marked, Called by the Savior. And what we've been talking about during this series is just there seems to be this prevalent thought in the church these days that, that God's primary plan for our lives is to be good moral people. And while that's certainly part of God's plan for our lives, there's, there's much more to that. We've looked at all sorts of um, characters in Scripture, um, in the Old Testament, New Testament, all, all around in Scripture. And I'd actually say that, that we could almost literally use every story in Scripture. Um, and the stories describe God as really more of a good shepherd, someone that, that actually comes alongside of and not just lists a, a, a bunch of morals that we should follow, but, but really calls us to live in really almost a step-by-step -step instructions, not everyday step-by-step instructions, but, but calling us to do unique things as followers of Christ, right? Almost as unique as our fingerprints on our fingers, um, that God seems to have this unique plan for each and every one of us. 
And, and if this is true, how might we best interact with a God that is like this, right? To best live into the life following a God like this, a God who, who calls. And we, we started out this conversation really talking about the first thing that you need, and there's several different things you need if you're going to live in, into having a God like this. But the first one is definitely belief, right? We need to believe that God acts this way. If we don't believe that God acts this way, then, then we'll never see what he's doing. We'll never be able to join him um, doing his work, right? So believing God acts in this way is, is really, really important. That affects, affects our, our time uh, in Scripture, because as we're reading through Scripture, we're thinking, well, this is how God acts. We can kind of see what he's like and what he calls, us, calls other people to and maybe what he might be calling us to. And, and it would affect our prayer time as well as we're trying to listen um, to, to, to maybe hear God as he's trying to communicate with us what he wants us to do. Um, just hoping to really develop as we look through in the past few weeks um, when Jesus says over and over again, giving, uh, giving us eyes to see and ears to hear um, what he's doing so that we can somehow follow him along the way, right? And so the last couple of weeks, as we've made this journey through this conversation, we've looked at Jesus himself. And he certainly was called by God, right, for a specific purpose. And, and he even grew in his understanding of how God the Father works. I think that's a really odd thing to think about, but, but Scripture actually tells us that Jesus grew in his understanding of God. And if Jesus grew in this area of his life, should we be surprised that we need to grow in our understanding of God and how he works? Of course not, right? I mean, especially when you start thinking about that Jesus was 30 years old by the time he started into his public ministry. And how fast do we think we're going to hop right into ministry? Do you think we could do it the day after we were saved? And no, right? We need to be patient with ourselves as we're learning this, as we're following the Lord, right? And we've seen how Jesus even calls others to specific things as well, right? Calling his disciples, which meant following him through everyday life. That's what it looked like, right? dropping everything that they knew to learn a different way of living. And that wouldn't have been easy, right? It's literally, we're talking about not just learning um, a list of good uh, moral things to do, but it's an apprenticeship of Jesus to learn this life of following God that Jesus knew, right? And through spending time in Jesus' presence, his disciples hope to become more like him, right? To even start acting more like him, right? And doing the things that he does, to be transformed and directed in our lives by the Holy Spirit. That's really our hope and goal, right? As we're becoming disciples of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus, and we, and we certainly don't see the disciples catching on to this lifestyle immediately, right? This didn't happen overnight. This was a struggle to learn this new life, really, right? Life going from life where you're not following God to life where you are following God. That's, that's a huge step, isn't it? And yet, we see last week in Peter's life, we see this roller coaster life, you know, his life. He's, he's having these unbelievable high moments and then these unbelievably low moments. I mean, we see that in Peter's life. And how does Jesus respond to Peter as he's going up and down and up and down? Well, we see him responding with this unbelievable patience, right? I mean, we see very clearly last week that Jesus believed far more in Peter than Peter believed in Peter. True? And that is the way our God is. We see Jesus continuing to call Peter to do things for him, even though he fails at times to do them, right? We see a very super patient and merciful and grace-giving <laughs> Jesus, God, right? We see him continuing to, to just offer his love to Peter, even as Peter was struggling, right? So 
here's a great example for us, as we sometimes find ourselves struggling, that we sometimes we just need to be patient. Just keep working at it. Just keep listening for his voice, right? But as we talked last week, time is of the essence. <laughs> time is not unlimited. We saw in Luke chapter 9 this shift in Jesus' life that happens in Luke 9 verse 51. It says, at the time, as, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, talking about Jesus, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. We see this odd statement in Scripture where time actually moves, right? The time approached, and time does move, right? Example I used last week was uh, looking at my kids as they're growing up. How in the world do they grow up so fast, right? You could almost literally see time moving when you're looking at your kids. They're just, what is happening here? And so how do we respond when we see time moving? Well, we say, hold on, <laughs> stop moving so fast, right? That's what happens. We want to slow down time, but noticing time moving actually helps us because it helps us stay more focused on the time that we do have, right? It, it reminds us that we don't have unlimited time, so we've got to get busy doing what we need to, to be doing. Let's quit wasting time, right? We, if we're going to be used by God to reach people around us, we've got to get going, right? And so we see in Jesus' life that he resolutely, resolutely, he, he with purpose set out toward Jerusalem. Where was he headed? Toward the cross, right? Towards the cross. It's really hard to think about that Jesus is doing God's will for his life and God is having him do something very difficult, right? He's moving towards this difficult task that he, Jesus, was uniquely put together to do, right? He's the only one that could do it. Again, God's call might, might be to do some difficult tasks, right? But we also see the end in mind in this verse. Where is he, where is he headed to? What is the end of time leading him to? It's leading him up to heaven, right? So his eyes on heaven, He's, his eyes are on really taking everyone with him to heaven, right? That's his goal. That's what, what the call is all about. So he's got this end in view, heaven. And again, we are all headed, headed to heaven if we're in Christ, right? So we've got the end in view. We're going to all get there, right? But we're, what are we going to do? We're going to take as many people as we can with us. And the time's short, so we've got to stop making excuses like we looked at last week that other people, not you guys, but other people in Scripture um, were making to Jesus. We've got to get going. We've got, we got to keep our hand to the plow, as, as Scripture was telling us last week. We've got to keep our focus on heaven and on our calling to reach the people around us with the good news, right? So that they too can be find the hope that we have so that they too could become followers of Jesus. Amen? This is ultimately what the call of God is all about, isn't it? So I'm going to wrap up my time this morning on this sermon series by taking a look at one more calling. So if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 5. You can just take a moment to turn there. Um, I want to I want to cast our attention this morning to the type of people that Jesus called. What kinds of people did Jesus call? <laughs> and even the approach that, that Jesus wants us to take when we call others. <laughs> did you know that God may have us call others? And I think we might be surprised at who he might have us call. That's what we're going to look at this morning, where the story that we're going to look at is, is of Jesus calling Matthew, otherwise known as, as Levi, um, so that he would follow him as his disciple. Um, and in this story, the calling of Matthew is found in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which means that all of the writers thought that this story was especially important. They all three included it, right? 
And notice that Matthew was a tax collector. We all know Matthew the tax collector, right? Read with me starting in verse 27 of, of Luke chapter 5. It says, After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, now as we've seen with some of the other disciples that we've looked at, Matthew's response was really kind of simple, wasn't it? Jesus called him. Matthew gets up, leaves everything, and follows Jesus. Just like that. No big deal, right? Oh, but it was a big deal. A very big deal. As simple as, simple as this looks, as we've talked about, the call of God following Jesus is challenging. It's huge, right? Think about the process with me. It begins with a decision to believe in Jesus, right? Matthew had to believe that Jesus offered him something that he couldn't get from anyone else, right? Or he wouldn't have said yes. Why else would he completely leave his previous way of life? True? There had to be something going on. There must have been something that he knew about Jesus that, that just required him to drop his whole life and follow Jesus, right? And we've talked about tax collectors in Jesus' time. They, they were pretty wealthy, right? There was... It was a good place to be if you wanted to make a lot of money. They just robbed everybody, right? And yet he turned from that life and he embraced the life of the teaching of Jesus just like that, right? Just got up and went with him, right? There had to have been. There just had to have been. You think about this. There's no way he just does that. There is something that God has already started in his heart. There's God, God's already involved in this process, working in Matthew's heart. There's, there's this, you just have to feel like Matthew has some desperation even in his life to make that kind of a decision, right? Matthew, knowing that his current path was never going to get to where he wanted to be, only, only hope he has to get to where he wanted to be was Jesus. That's the only explanation you could really throw out there that he would just instantly give up his life and follow Jesus. And as we've been talking about, being a follower of Jesus is not this quick prayer <laughs> and we're good for eternity, <laughs> right? It is this lifelong journey, this adventure with God, right? Walking along with God. And, and so unlike what the Christian life is sometimes sold to us these days, following Jesus can't be contained, can't be limited to just coming for an hour to church, <laughs> as good as that is, right? <laughs> Watching a service on, online, um, reading the latest best-selling book, making sure that you know all the creeds. I mean, this relationship with God, this journey with God that we have been called into cannot be accomplished in a prayer. <laughs> Can't even be accomplished in a few weeks. Can't be accomplished in a year, right? Following Jesus is an ongoing lifestyle of learning and practice, being in community, finding ways to be led by the Holy Spirit, right? This doesn't happen overnight. This is a process. This is a relationship with God that we continue to grow in. And when we look at Jesus' invitation and Matthew's response, I mean, significant here is that Matthew knew what this meant. I can't stress that enough. There is something going on in his life. He knew what it was meant. He, he knew what this meant. He knew that he was literally walking away from who he was to be something else. This was not going to be taken lightly. And yet it was exactly, exactly... <laughs> what Matthew was looking for in his life. And he knew it. He knew it, right? And so he jumped at the chance to follow Jesus. I mean, he just, I'm doing it. This is what I want, right? And one of the reasons why he jumped at the chance is because no upstanding Jewish rabbi in the world 
would give a tax collector <laughs> a chance to be his follower, ever. This was not a part of the equation, right? It just wouldn't happen. Not in that day. It's easy to miss a vital part of the story. Jesus' invitation to Matthew would have been highly offensive to, to the Jewish religious leaders, right? We know that. We see that in the story. We're going to look at those verses in a minute. But honestly, it's, it's an affront to the whole Jewish system. In the upbringing of Jewish boys, they would have, they would have been trained in, in the scriptures from an early age, and Matthew, being a Jewish boy, he would have been trained in the scriptures from an early age. <laughs> and at some point in that training, if Matthew would have been among the elite students, right, part of the best of the best of the best of the best, as they say, they would have honored him with an invitation to, to follow some rabbi. The best of the best of the best would have been asked into that relationship, right? And obviously... That didn't happen for Matthew. Where is Matthew? Well, instead of being a follower of a rabbi, he's a tax collector. <laughs> he's working for the Roman Empire. He is an enemy of the Jews, right? Matthew has been viewed, he would have been viewed as a traitor. Tax collectors at that time, they were kind of like the mob. They had their own enforcers. I mean, they were despised by everyone. They were so dishonest they couldn't even be a, a witness in court. Matthew was not the best of the best of the best. In fact, quite the opposite. He was probably the worst of the worst of the worst. And yet Jesus, a rabbi, just catch this. <laughs> He doesn't follow the Jewish tradition to pick the best of the best of the best, does he? We've already seen that in the calling of the other four guys that he's already called, right? Peter and Andrew, James and John, but even more so with Matthew. And yet here Jesus is. He's inviting Matthew to be a follower of him. Can we even capture this thought? I mean, even the unqualified fishermen would have balked at this. They would have been upset that they now had to hang out with a tax collector, right? Who would invite a tax collector into our group, right? And if you've seen the Chosen TV series, I think they actually portray this really, really well. Who argues with Jesus about the calling of Matthew? Peter, right? Peter even says, whoa, 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 what are you doing, Jesus? Do you even know what this guy has done? Do you even know this guy? I mean, Peter was clearly not a fan of Matthew. And that's reality, right? And don't think Matthew misses this. He knows this, Right? While everyone around the situation is asking what kind of rabbi would invite the worst of the worst, a tax collector be his follower? Are you kidding me? Matthew's looking at Jesus, and he says, sign me up right now. I need to do it. If you're going to invite me, I'm doing it, right? Who does that? What in the world is Jesus doing? Are you kidding me? Totally unqualified. Matthew is exhibit A when it comes to proof that Jesus would call anyone to follow him. Truth. This is telling us more about Jesus than it is about Matthew. This is the kind of people that Jesus calls. Do we catch this? And I've talked to so many people that say, you know, if, that, if I ever walked in the church building, you know what would happen? You've heard this too, right? The place would burn down. I'm sure of it. I'm not welcome in that place. But what do they really know about Jesus? Nothing. <laughs> Who would Jesus invite in? The truth is that those kind of people 
are exactly who Jesus would call, right? And the story doesn't end there. In response to Jesus' kindness and acceptance, what happens next? Matthew throws a party. And who does Matthew invite to the party? People like him. (laughs) Tax collectors. It's funny, verse 29, it says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. They just called them others. Who are those others, you think? But is that surprising? That Jesus would show up at a party that's full of tax collectors and others? (laughs) Could the others be worse than the tax collectors? Or, and you get to thinking about the others there. But you, can you imagine if this would happen today? There's this big party happening in town, right? Everyone knows about it, and everyone that's bad is there. The worst of the worst of the worst. I mean, it was nuts, this, this huge party, right? And you know who else was there? Right there in the middle of them, Pastor Brian. There he was. This unbelievable, I can't even say the word, unbelievably, there we go. Um, Scandalous, right? What? Our pastor was down at that party with with all of the, the worst of the worst of the worst? Why in the world would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus show up at that party, right? I mean, didn't he know that his reputation was going to be tarnished? If he even showed up, right? And we see that <laughs> that happening. Verse 30, keep reading. It says, But the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who belong to their sect, complained to his disciples. <laughs> what do they complain? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? There you go. No longer others. Now we have a, a title for them sinners. And the truth is, the the leader of the Jews, they got it right. Who did did they say Jesus was eating with? Tax collectors and sinners. In other words, again, the worst of the worst of the worst. What good could, could possibly come from this? Why would he go to that party? And when Jesus heard them questioning his disciples... He responded, didn't he? We actually get the reason behind the madness. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners (laughs) to repentance. I mean, do you hear what Jesus said? Jesus does not limit his invitation to follow him to those who have a nice, clean life. Nice, clean background, you know. I mean, if anything, Jesus seems to do the opposite. He calls sinners, right? Jesus came not for the whole everyone. He came for the wounded. Not for the perfect. He came for the ragamuffins, right? Not for the healed. He came for the sick. Not for those who are all cleaned up. But those who were a mess, that's Jesus. I mean, can anyone relate to this story? Anyone thankful that our God is like this? (laughs) Right? God is not offended by our wounds. He's not offended by our past. He's not offended by our failures, right? In fact... That is what draws him to us. What it says, I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It truly seems that Scripture tells us that nothing prohibits Jesus from calling a person to follow him. He's not following any particular rules, is he? Except for maybe the fact that You already think you're healthy. 
Maybe that you're already righteous, so why would you need a doctor at that point, right? Those would be the only people that he didn't come for, right? I mean, think about this. The religious crowd, they were the ones that had a problem with Jesus. They were, they were repulsed by the fact that Jesus would allow these kinds of people even come near to him, much less call them to be his disciples. Are you kidding me? I read a book recently called Searching for Sunday by Rachel Held Evans, and there was a quote in there that really just stuck with me. It says, what makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. What makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. <laughs> and that's true, isn't it? There's just nothing, no way of getting around this. This is the type of people that Jesus hung around with. So who else hung around those kinds of people because Jesus was hanging around those type of people? Who else was following Jesus around? The disciples. Those poor disciples. They were the ones that had to hang around every day with people like Matthew. <laughs> and this truly is a huge part of being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of him. We love the fact that no matter your past <laughs> or your present no matter how wounded you are, no matter how messed up you may be, and no matter what you may think or feel, no, nothing has disqualified you from being called, invited by Jesus to follow him. Nothing, right? In fact, those very things are what draws Jesus to you. That he is willing to make those risky, risky, risky investments and people like me, and people like you. <laughs> I'll just throw you guys under the bus too. <laughs> Much less <laughs> call us to be his disciples, use us in incredible ways. But that same thing is what makes us nervous about following Jesus people that we might have to hang out with because we're following him, right? When those unqualified people start showing up in my church, truly, obviously invited by Jesus, who else would invite those kinds of people, right? And they start making a mess of things and, I mean, there's no way Jesus would call those kinds of people would he? I mean, can I get an amen? I mean, let's get rid of some of those people. I heard a janitor at a church camp um, once mutter, you know, it sure would be a lot easier for me to get my stuff done if we didn't have all these kids running around. And while we might laugh at that epic missing of the point... <laughs> Do we do some of the same things when we start wanting to get rid of some of those folks that need Jesus? <laughs> and it really shouldn't surprise us, I don't think, when these kind of thoughts pop up in our brains that, man, do we need those kind of people around here? Because those people struggle with sins that we've already struggled with, and we don't want to struggle with them again. So, you know what I mean? We've learned that those things cause life to be hindered, and, and, and we just don't want that sin in our life anymore. <laughs> but we can't confuse the two, a sinner and a sin. We can't, Right? Or we'll completely miss the heart of what Jesus is calling us to do. And how do we keep our focus on the right thing? Well, Scripture tells us we keep our eyes on the right thing by remembering. Remembering. Remembering where we were when Jesus found us. 
And I think this is why Paul starts his letter to his young disciple Timothy with, with his own testimony. Listen to 1 Timothy 1, beginning with verse 12. It's Paul speaking to this disciple of his, Timothy, and he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. I mean, I just can't believe it, is Paul saying. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a, and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. I just can't believe how much of God's grace was just poured out over my life along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. These were gifts. I didn't earn any of them, right? And then he goes on. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Do we remember? Do we remember? <laughs> and then verse 16, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. What's Paul saying? I mean, can you hear the humility in his voice? I know where I come from, and I was a wreck, <laughs> right? That's what he's saying. I was completely lost, but now I'm fine. I was blind, but now I see. Do you hear the words of amazing grace in his testimony? The mercy and grace of God. What, what his life was all about, right? And Paul says, now I am an example for the next group that Jesus is calling, right? Both in my past, the way I used to live, but now in my future, that God would somehow offer me his grace so that I could find heaven in this, right? I mean, isn't that unbelievable? We can't forget the real reason we are who we are today, right? We have to stay humble, we have to continue to trust in the Lord. We're not done yet, right? People of God, remember, Jesus is the reason, our only reason for the hope that we have. And he's the reason for us to have any hope of fixing our broken world. You think that's true? This was true in Paul's day, and I think it's still true today. Jesus is the only hope of our world today. And it's not because we're somehow qualified to make a difference, right? We are exhibit A of what the unqualified looks like. And yet Jesus saves even me. <laughs> and as exhibit A, we need to share our story with others. What has God done for us? We've got to share our story with others. We need to be willing to make those same risky investments in those risky, risky people, don't we? So that the next group of unqualified people could join the race, right? You could even say that this is the call of the church today. We, the unqualified are called to call the unqualified around us to Jesus. And we see this in the risen Jesus' commission to us in Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. What does that mean? It means that we're calling some disciples, right? As an unqualified believer, <laughs> I'm calling other unqualified people, right, to disciple them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, Jesus said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Who was Jesus speaking to when he gave this command? The unqualified people that we've been talking about in the sermon series, right? These disciples of his, these fishermen, 
right? Those unqualified men and women Jesus called to be his disciples were called to also make disciples of the unqualified people that they knew around them so that they would become disciples and, and, and be unqualified to, to call some more unqualified people, right? And so on and so forth. 2,000 years have passed, and we're still inviting the unqualified to trust in the Lord. That's our call. Invest in people. That's what Jesus wants. In fact, in the first chapter of Acts, it's always intrigued me. Jesus was raised from the dead. He spends a short time with his disciples after he was risen. And obviously this would be an important time before he ascended into heaven. An important time of teaching, getting them ready for him to leave. And what did Jesus focus his teaching on in the first chapter of Acts? The kingdom of God. What it looks like to live with God as king. That was his topic, right? And he says something very interesting. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we see here the Holy Spirit providing power for something, right? Now I've heard that the Holy Spirit gives power um, some people would say that he gives power to speak in tongues, speak in other languages. I've heard that. Um, I've heard from other people that maybe the Holy Spirit provides power for us to, to live the life that God has called us to, maybe to live perfect lives even, right? But what is it in this particular passage that the Holy Spirit is providing power for? To be my witnesses. That's the call, right? What does a witness do? Well, they stand up there in court, and what are they, what are they called to do? They're called to testify, right? They're, they're called to call, to speak the truth about what they know. So here we are, receiving the Holy Spirit to share the truth about what? Jesus. I'm glad someone got the answer right there. Yeah, Jesus, right? I mean, doesn't it seem odd that the Spirit gives us power to share Jesus from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, and yet we somehow do that from inside these four walls, right? You guys are all looking at me like... No, right? We'd actually have to go somewhere. <laughs> and that might actually be part of the truth that we know about Jesus that he calls us to go. That he calls us to invite others to find the truth out about him and offer his amazing grace and love, giving them hope. Flip over to Acts chapter 2. We see the Holy Spirit coming to the disciples and a crowd gathers. And who stands up to speak for the disciples? Peter. Peter the fisherman, the one that messed up so many times, right? What a great representative for the group, right? If that doesn't tip you off to the craziness of God's plan, I mean, what will? Peter? <laughs> then Luke intentionally shares with us what the community of believers looked like, right? Right? as they lived under the kingship of God, empowered by the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, you see this, this group coming together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke breads and their bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That's miraculous, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, what are, what are we seeing here? We're seeing this unbelievable picture of a church family. One that I would say is very similar to the group that I see before me here, right? 
And how is that even possible? Well, I think it's this last verse that gives us some insight. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. <laughs> I mean, again, this is a perfect example of what it looks like to invest in people as God calls us to. This is people sharing life together. This is people caring for one another. This is people growing in their lives together under Christ, right? They're growing in, in the Lord together. This is not a group who thought that they were better than anyone else. True? But a people who were grounded in the mercy and grace and love of God. They knew they were blessed. They knew it, right? So they didn't mind sharing it. We are unbelievably blessed. So, hey, why don't you just, why don't we help you too, right? And so God was active. He was present in their midst. He was doing his thing as these people were just open to whatever God wanted them to do. True? And what we we see is almost a too perfect picture of humanity. And yet we also see this, the power behind the transformation and the Lord added to their number, right? Daily those who were being saved. The Lord was at work. This is what disciples of Jesus investing in people as the Holy Spirit empowers them looks like, right? This is the birth of the church. The people of God lived as a witness to the gospel. The good news of Jesus. <laughs> the Lord called more and more people to jump into this life with him. More and more unqualified people, right? People of God. This is God at work in the lives of the people that you live next to, that you work with, right? He's looking for people who will invest well so that they might find out the truth about Jesus. So that they might experience the hope that you have. The future that you have of heaven, right? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So that is my question this morning. And really on into the future. Disciples of Jesus. Are we willing to continue as Jesus did? <laughs> are we willing to continue as millions of followers of his have done for the last 2,000 years? Will we be about his mission? Will we be about his calling? To call the unqualified. <laughs> the ones we don't really want to hang out with, right? To call the unqualified. To share with the people what God has for them. God is already at work drawing people to himself. Will you cooperate with God? Will you respond to his call? Will you truly love your neighbor and tell them the truth? The truth that you know. The truth that you can only find in Jesus. Will you allow God to send you? And I know a thing or two about you. And I believe you are that kind of people. We have to continue to trust in the Lord and seek out his ways and be his people. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you are so good. You are so faithful. Your love is incredible. That you would reach out to a world that is so messed up. 
and that you reach out with such a loving, patient hand to help not only us find our way, but to help us help others find their way. That if we would just follow you, that we could have a hand in doing the most amazing work ever, helping people find eternity, helping people find heaven, helping people find hope. Lord God, I'm so thankful that this church gets that. That this church truly desires to be a part of your mission, reaching out into the world and offering them the hope that you have. So Lord God, be with us. Work through us. <laughs> Help us to continue to trust in you and grow in you and our understanding of your ways. Help us to continue to respond to the call that you have for us, Lord. And we will give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Wayne. I realized how messed up I was uh, when I looked at the cakes that I ordered, <laughs> and uh, for some reason the color really spoke to me. <laughs> so when you, thank you, Wendy. <laughs> so when you look at the cakes, I'm messed up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, will you please stand and. Uh, Let's uh, pray for uh, Brian and Wendy and, uh, and his family. Uh, just lift your hands and, and touch him. Dear Heavenly Father, we just love you, Lord. We just love what you have given us and what you have offered us. Thank you for the call. Be with Brian and Wendy and their family as they head out into a calling that you have given them to bless other people just bless their ministry as they leave here bless the church in casper and just bless them lord and and just we are so thankful for the things that pastor brian and wendy has given us over the years that they've been here. We, as a church family, are blessed. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, I'm going to read. You guys may, can be, well, no, let's stand. Stand for the word of God. Pastor Scott saying, oh, what have I got into? <laughs> um, I'm going to read Philippians 4, 4-9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your greatness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your re present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received 
or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the Lord God of peace will be with you. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't know. Pastor Nathan helped me uh, put in some words that I know all of us and uh, we're thinking of right now about Pastor and Wendy. I don't know if words are really acceptable or no, they're acceptable, but are I? They're just too many. But Brian, you and Wendy have been amazing at this church. We have learned so much from you. You and Wendy have been faithful throughout your stay here. You have been for us. When we've needed you, you have been there. For me personally, both of you have been there for whenever I needed you. Thank you. So if you think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is lovely and whatever is admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, thank you. Know that we will be thinking of you. We will be thinking of all the memories of our time together. Pastor Nathan was right, reading with a microphone. We are committed as a church body to pray for you, to be there for you whenever we are needed. Brian, for the last 10 years, you have stood up here and you have ended your sermon with these words. You are sent. We have left this church for 10 years every Sunday as sent people. At this time, would the congregation please stand? And, and you guys too. And we... And... The church family and join me in saying, Pastor Brian and Wendy, we would like to say as a congregation, you are sent. Thank you. You can be seated. Uh. And I, I know the words, there are a lot, there are hundreds of more words that a person could say about you guys. And I'm sorry if I didn't um, hit those words, but our hearts, each and every one of you has those words. So after we're done, there's going to be cake and coffee in the foyer, kind of as a, as Gary Bacon would say, uh, send me off, um, <laughs> sending thing. And uh, before I forget, I'd like to, uh, Pastor Scott and his wife or Vicky are here, and uh, they'll might be, they will be out in the foyer for a little bit. So if you have any questions for him, oh no, uh, you can. Uh, uh, Ask Pastor Scott. 
but we love you guys and your family, and uh, God bless you. Amen. Amen. You are sent. <laughs>